My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Messier Day Church, and this is your weekly sermon. But before we get started, I have one request as a beloved brother in Christ, and that is as we fellowship, as we discuss the sermon at the end, that we not speak about WandaVision. I have not seen the last two episodes yet. No spoilers. So um, I appreciated the song selection today. Um, Joel probably had some previews of what I'm speaking about. And I just love in the uh, Christ of Solid Rock I stand, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We're going to be in Acts 15 today, and we're actually going to talk about um, a little bit of how we tend to add to um, the gospel and to Jesus' name uh, when it comes to our salvation. And we see an example of this, I think, in Acts 15. And... Um, so we're going to jump right in, though, because it's a long passage and we've got a lot to cover. Good morning, all of you out on the Zoom call. I forgot it until the TV beeped. Okay, so this week, um, we're continuing on in the books of Acts. We're in chapter 15. So where we are in the book of Acts right now, um, so Paul and Barnabas are back in the church at Antioch, uh, and this is after completing what is known as Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, poor Barnabas gets no credit for going along with Paul, but I guess that's what it is. They have been sent from Antioch by the leaders of the church, and that was back in Acts 13. Um, and to jog your memories a bit, we actually see the founding of the church in Antioch in the second half of chapter 11, um, and this is after the believers are dispersed following the martyring of Stephen um, and the ensuing persecution of the church by, uh, by Paul, actually. Um, but it says that believers traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus in Antioch, preaching only to the Jews. But men of Cyprus and Cyrene came to Antioch and preached the gospel to Hellenists, a.k.a. Greeks, a.k.a. Gentiles, or people who were not from uh, a Jewish background. And they, and they believed. The Gentiles believed. Word got out to the church of Jerusalem, who sent Barnabas to check it out. So Barnabas checked it out. He went down, sees what's happening once the Gentiles, exhorts them. Then he goes to Tarsus, grabs Paul, brings Paul back to Antioch, and they teach there for a year um, before they are sent out on their missionary journeys. Now, I'm certain it's no coincidence. This, this account of the church's founding comes literally right after chapter, or textually, not literally, textually comes right after the chapter where Paul has his vision um, about the inclusion of the Gentiles, goes to Cornelius' house, shares the gospel, and sees the Holy Spirit come to the Gentiles. Um, because this is it's greatly related, I think, to the founding church in Antioch to drive home the point that Antioch, the church at Antioch, was a Gentile church. It was full of people who were not culturally Jewish and not from a Jewish background. So um, in chapter 15, though, we see that because this is largely a gentle, Gentile church and um, Christianity is growing out of Judaism, this, we do start to see some conflict. And so I'm going to start in... Uh, Verse 1 in chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Bar Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them.
But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So here we have a group of very culturally Jewish followers of Jesus. Um, and in talking about this, they're often referred to as Judaizers today, who believe that since Jesus was a Jew, and because this whole Christian thing was coming out of Judaism, that Gentile believers who were not culturally Jew Jewish had to be circumcised. And some went so far, and we'll, um, we see this in verse 5, as to say not only do they need to be circumcised, they have to follow the whole Mosaic law. Uh, if you look back at the law, that kind of comes out of the first five uh, books of the Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, now, first let me say that the Judaizers get a bad rap, I think, um, because we can sit back with hindsight of 2,000 years and say, Psh, what were they thinking? They obviously missed the point. But these people have been steeped in the law of Moses for 1,500 years at this point. And so I think, you know, when they are wondering how does our observance fit with this new thing that's happening, you know, I think how their old customs fit with the new believers that aren't culture Jewish is at least a legitimate question, even if their ultimate conclusion was wrong. Um, so, but in answer to this, uh, after they have um, some discussion with Paul and Barnabas or some uh, some debate, and if you want to read more about that debate, um, I recommend you read the book of Galatians, because that entire book is pretty much about this debate. Um, they're sent up to Jerusalem to, uh, it's kind of elevated, if you will, to go talk to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Okay, so we're going to pick up at verse 6, um, and this is when we're at the council, and this is the, Paul, the apostles and the elders discussing this matter. So the apostles and elders were gathered together to consider the matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And this is chapter 10 of the book of Acts where uh, Peter goes to talk to witness to Cornelius. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? And listen to this. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. And the assembly, and the assembly fell silent. So boom. Mic drop. Dab, additional thing the kids do on TikTok after making a point. I'm old, I don't have TikTok, I don't know what kids do these days. So I want to revisit the first part of that, uh, that uh, response from Peter. Um, and I want you to first notice who is active in these verses. And I'm going to add some emphasis to help you out. I'm going to replace some pronouns with some added antecedents uh, for those grammar nerds out there. And do a little paraphrasing. Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, God bore witness to them. God gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And God made no distinction between them because God cleansed their hearts by faith. And so is, who is doing all this? Anyone? Thank you. You're listening. Thanks. Um, and so what is Peter's conclusion? 
it comes down to verse 11. And if, if you take no other verse from today, I want you to take verse 11 from today. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And sometimes I think it's helpful to actually turn that around and think about it as, but we believe that they will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as we will. You see, this is salvation. They are saved to the grace of the Lord Jesus, period. This is Peter's conclusion. That's it. Christ Jesus and him crucified, buried, risen again on the third day. And this is to be the thing that unites these two peoples from different backgrounds, Jew and Gentile. And note what he says about the Judaizers. Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? You see, the Jews have been for generations living under the law of Moses, having it drilled into them that you must do this, you must do that, you must not eat this, you must do these things. And for some of these people, for some of these Jews, the fact that the Gentiles could just rock up, having not been doing all this, be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, I have to believe was an internal struggle for them, if not a bridge too far. Surely that can't be right. Surely it must do all of these other things that were required of us for the past 1,500 years. So they take this yoke, this burden that they've endured, and they put it on the neck of these new believers. But Peter's saying, guys, don't you see? When you take these extra things, things that we as Jews haven't been able to do that well in ourselves, you burden these new believers. And when you say, this is what you must also do to be saved, you test God. You, in effect, say, what God did through Jesus on the cross, that was pretty great, but it wasn't quite enough. You need to do these things as well. And man, am I glad we don't do that, right? You can't see me smiling because I have a mask on. But, except we do do this. We do it a little differently, but um, we're a church that was born out of a bunch of believers coming together from different faith traditions, and we we bring different things from our faith traditions. We bring different understandings of certain passages of Scripture. And sometimes we build this up in our minds as something that's required to be a true Christian. And then we evaluate the faith of the person a few seats away from us in light of these things. Wait, you say you're a Christian and you voted for Biden? Wait, you say you're a Christian and you voted for Trump? Wait, you say you're a Christian and you voted? Wait, you say you're a Christian and you didn't vote? You say you're a Christian and you wear a mask? You say you're a Christian and you don't wear a mask? Uh, you know, seven-day creation, 13 billion years old? Look, don't test God. Literal seven-day creation or 13 billion-year-old universe. Don't test God. You say you're a Christian, but your kids go to public school. Your kids go to private Christian school. Your kids homeschool. Don't test God. You say you're a Christian and you're not a Calvinist? You say you're a Christian and you don't support Arminianism? Don't test God. Infant baptism, adult baptism, go back to work, stay home with your kids, drink alcohol, don't drink alcohol. All these things we add in, don't test God. All these extra things that we want to put on ourselves and others, saying, well, if you're, you are not really a Christian, unless you do say, believe, X, Y, or Z, 
because the grace of the, we're saying the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't really enough, because I put this burden on myself and now I want to put it on you, because in these things, we test God. But brothers and sisters, our unity is based on the fact that every one of us is saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that other stuff comes second. And this should be the bounds, this should be the grounds of our unity as believers, as church, as a church, as churches in the area. Um, that we come back to, but we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And look at the person sitting a few seats away, and instead of seeing someone who disagrees with your doctrine, see someone who is redeemed by the grace of the Lord Jesus. And they may do and see things. They may believe things you don't agree with. They may hold doctrinal positions that you might debate. They might have made life choices that you don't agree with. But you know what? Like you, they will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have to throw a yoke on them, throw this. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now we're going to move on. Um, but that was the main point of this sermon. Not that you can p- stop paying attention. Uh, and all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. And Simeon, that is Simon Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble... We should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. After Peter speaks, Paul and Barnabas provide more testimony of what God is doing among the Gentiles than James, who, by the way, is the half-brother of Jesus affirms what Peter says and quotes Amos, uh, try, tying what is happening to Jewish prophecy and emphasizing how God is calling a people for his name, a remnant, if you will, from the Gentiles. A quick aside, this whole theme of God choosing a remnant from people runs like basically from Genesis to Revelation. So that's just an interesting study to do if you want to do a study of the overall Bible narrative, but that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, so most interestingly, James adds some restrictions, some, uh, some bumpers, if you will, abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. But wait, didn't we just talk about how salvation is through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? And didn't we just talk about the fact that adding things is putting God to the test? Didn't I just repeat, don't test God like 37 times five minutes ago? So what's going on here? I mean, other than the obvious inclusion of sexual immorality, we probably wouldn't be too concerned about eating meat from a strangled animal, uh, possibly concerned about the drinking of the blood because, ew. 
And um, things polluted by idols, well, if we believe the idol has no power, yeah, who cares? But remember, the church we are talking about is in Antioch, a very Gentile, a very pagan city, and it was steeped in the temple practices of the pagan religions of the time. And these pagan celebrations and ceremonies were dedicated to all manner of idols. And in a place that was steeped with this idolatrous worship, idolatrous, idolatrous, uh, the activities James advises against um, this collection of things were actually promised common practices in these temples and done at these feasts and ceremonies, honoring these false gods. And these instructions would have operated on two levels. The first level was the association of these activities with idolatry would have made them especially odious to the Jewish believers and would have made the fellowship between Jew and Gentile incredibly difficult. So these were concessions, in a way, made to make the Jewish believer more comfortable or to take the pressure off the Jewish believer to maybe act more Gentile. But more importantly, what James is doing here is he is calling the Gentiles to come out of their former lives, their former pagan practices, and to avoid behaviors that would tempt them back into that because they would want to go back to that. And because those things were tied to their idol worship, they would be drawn back in. And, you know, so I think the important thing for us to take away now is that, yes, we believe we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, and there is freedom in that. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that you have been set free. But there are limits. First, sometimes a behavior might be permissible, but is not beneficial. It may be something, that I, something I do that, while technically not a sin, might cause someone else to struggle. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 8. Uh, talking, uh, this is verses 4 through 13. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, ha, see, direct tie-in. We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge... This weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So because you have freedom, don't use that freedom to injure your weaker brother or sister. Second, there are behaviors, actions that are sinful and are not glorifying to God. See sexual immorality above. And we should obviously not be engaging in those activities despite the knowledge that we are forgiven through Christ and that his grace washes us of sin. Romans 6.1, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? And while we need to be cautious about putting God to the test by adding additional requirements for salvation, 
We also must not let our brothers and sisters carry on in behavior that is damaging to themselves and their relationship with God. And yes, this sometimes does take some discernment, and you have to walk a fine line. So I'm going to continue on now, uh, starting at verse 23b. And this is the conclusion of the council. The brothers, oh, so the conclusion of the council, I should start, since I didn't start a little further back. Um, the conclusion is that they're going to write this down in a letter, what James said, and they're going to send it to the church at Antioch. And here's the letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers, who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. So obviously they actually intended this letter to go to a wider distribution, not just for the church at Antioch. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep these things, or if you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Farewell. And when the letter was read, it said in verse 31, and when they had read it, they rejoiced with its encouragement. And I think it was because, aside from not having to get a little snip snip, um, instead of being yoked with the law of Moses, with the burden of circumcision, they experienced the yoke of him whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. So take a look around this room or take a look at the other Zoom tiles. And you may some piece, you might see people here um, who disagree with you over a particular piece of doctrine or maybe you know, they've made a choice in life that you wouldn't agree with. Um, and you wonder sometimes even how could they be a follower of Jesus Christ if they've made that choice, if they hold that doctrine. But stop and think, what yoke are you placing on this person? How are you putting God to the test by putting a requirement on their salvation beyond the grace of the Lord Jesus? Now, verse 11 Reversed, I believe that I will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, and they will. And I believe that they will be saved through the grace of Jesus, as I will. And brothers, sisters, let that be the basis of your relationship with that person, not all this other stuff. table up here has baskets with um, little cups of juice and uh, little wafers and there will be some folks coming up fairly shortly to get those. Normally we would have a loaf of bread and some cups of wine. We do it this way these days because of um, the pandemic but if you can picture a loaf of bread and a cup that's what that's about and um, as they deliver these to you if you will not focus on them right away while we talk about communion a little bit. I know when I get that thing, it takes me about five minutes to get it all apart. So um, as we just read in Acts, Peter said, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
This table reminds us how that grace came. The Lord Jesus didn't just issue a blessing on us. He died. He died on a cross that we might live. And his death on the cross was far greater and far had more suffering attached to it than the thousands of other men who died the same way during that period of Roman history. He took his, our sins on himself, bore them to the cross, bore the full weight and punishment for the sins of the world as he died. And rising from the dead, he rose victorious over sin, over death, over every enemy of our souls. So we come to this table to celebrate our king, the one true king of the universe. Hear the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians. I'm reading today from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase called The Message. Let me go over again with you exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master himself and I passed them on to you. The master Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. When you solemnly realize that every time you eat this bread, what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returned. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. And who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. That's not the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of. So examine your motives, test your heart, and come to this meal in holy awe. You have this little cup. If you haven't already, you can now peel the thin film that covers the wafer and take that off and then take the lid off the cup. And I'll wait for you for a minute and we'll look around and see that folks are ready and we will take it all together when we are. My sin or oh the bless glorious thought, nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Lord Jesus, as we take this cup and we take this bread, we remember you. And as we eat and drink together, we are reminded by this bread and this cup that we are saved by the grace that we receive through you and you alone, our Savior and our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus, the risen one. Amen.